AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hello, welcome to AT&T Threat Track for December 23rd, 2014. This program provides network security highlights, discussion, and countermeasures for cyber threats. Today we're joined by John Hogeboom, Matt Kaiser, and online Jim Clausing, and uh, I'm Brian Grexrode. And today what we're going to do, being the last uh, episode of the year, we're going to talk a little bit about our forecasts or predictions into 2015. I'm a little edgy about that whole notion about predictions because, you know, it kind of, I, I like the idea of talking about trends or forecasts, you know, something that has a little evidence that, that uh, pushes along that way. But uh, nevertheless, uh, there are lots of organizations that are doing uh, predictions. I think we have a little bit of our own slant here. And I think first what we're going to do is go over to John here. And uh, John, what do, you, what do you think is going to be the, uh, the, the big thing on your mind? for Well, uh, it's been the big thing on my mind for a long time, uh, for several years now. And uh, we're seeing some new trends uh, in 2014. So basically, the topic I wanted to discuss is that the novelty of APT is lost, mm -hmm. uh, APT being advanced persistent threats. Uh, if you went back five years ago, probably not many people outside of certain parts of the industry and government and military knew what APT was or mm -hmm. actually had it classified in that kind of terminology. You know, traditionally, I've always considered APT to be something that is targeted. So they're mm -hmm. targeting specific organizations, usually specific uh, individuals in that organization, mm -hmm. and usually at the direction of a nation state. Mm -hmm. um, I would say maybe my definition is getting a little more loose. It's getting this past it really it's is getting, getting fuzzy. And the reason I say that is because uh, we saw some interesting things this year. So. Not only did we see uh, APT actors, so like in the Dark Hotel uh, incident, there was um, certain tools that they used. Now, it was a very specific APT campaign. Mm -hmm. They would go to hotels. They knew when specific targets that they were interested in were going to check into that hotel, and then they modified the portal for the Wi-Fi at that hotel to deliver malware only to that person. So this mm -hmm. is like super high highly sophisticated targeting that they were mm -hmm. doing. Um, but that a lot of their tool sets they were, that they were using uh, also ended up kind of indis indiscriminately being distributed on peer-to-peer -peer networks right. uh, in various ways. Um, and then on the flip side, we saw uh, some of these malware actors that traditionally do just you know, crimeware type things like Zeus and you know, those actors started to use some of the techniques that APT actors use. So in 2014, we happened to see uh, a particular group of Zeus actors, Zeus being a crimeware toolkit, using weaponized uh, documents, like mm -hmm. Word documents and PowerPoints, as a means to infect users, which right. was really, you know, prior to last year, the only people doing weaponized, uh, you know, PowerPoints and Word docs were uh, the APT actors that were, you know, the nation state guys going after intellectual property inside mm -hmm. targeted uh, things. You know, I guess the long story short, the lines have been fuzzing a lot. There's a lot more awareness now, mm -hmm. uh, maybe because those lines have been kind of getting more fuzzed. 
And we're also seeing, I guess the other thing I want to talk about was destructive APT. Right. Thankfully, we haven't seen a lot of it, but we've seen some. And this is where mm -hmm. some of my lines have gotten fuzzier. So we saw the Saudi Aramco event. I don't remember when that was. Uh, 2012. Was it 2012? Yeah. Um, that was a destructive piece of APT. At the time when the Sony incident occurred, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to classify that as APT or not. I'm thinking maybe to them, certainly, it probably yeah, was an APT. It's definitely targeted. Right? Yeah. It's very targeted, focused activity. It's hard to say whether it was nation state oriented. Some people say yes, some people say no. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully the destructive types of malware that are you know really doing a lot of damage to companies is going to be less common mm -hmm. apts in general that we've been watching over the past you know 10 years or so are really quiet they get in they steal intellectual property they don't want to create a lot of noise they want to mm -hmm. get the information that they want and stay under the radar and stay in for a long time so that they can continue to gain intellectual you know strategic information out of that asset mm -hmm. that they've you know targeted so Okay. Uh, anyway, I'd like to just get a little bit philosophical with you here, and uh, you know, one of the things, just your 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 original point here, I think, is very important to uh, to really pay attention to. That is this notion that the novelty of APT is lost, and uh, it's almost to the point. And uh, what I relate it to is that the whole notion of malware that is that have somebody infect your computer is is really a crime, yeah. and to get to the point where it's just kind of business as usual, you know, that uh, people are willing to accept the fact that their computer's been infected and just, you know, whatever it takes to fix it and get it over with and be done. It doesn't get reported as a crime oftentimes, doesn't get investigated as a crime, not unless it's in mass or there's been significant damage. And it, you know, ultimately that's a resource issue, but to the extent that the APT is becoming so popular, you know, a, across you know lots of targets uh, lots of investment from whether it be crime groups or nation states whatever it is that it gets to the point where we accept it as a part of life and that becomes a part of the problem so uh, I guess my fundamental message here is that despite the fact that the novelty is lost it's not something we should you know grow to accept we really have to resist right. that temptation to the extent that it's possible it's still and, very uh, dangerous, especially, like yeah. I said, with the destructive stuff. But even still, the theft of intellectual property can destroy business and put it out of business mm -hmm. just equally as well, but under the covers where nobody knows it until you know all is lost. We know certain companies, I'm not going to name names, that have gone out of business because yeah. they were targeted by a nation-state actor. Their intellectual property was stolen. It was reproduced and in was some foreign country. And that was just an intellectual property case. Yeah, that was so just an intellectual property type thing. They experienced destructive malware and other right. attributes. You know, it, I would almost split out another sort of prediction or trend uh, along the lines of uh, uh, developing intolerance or concern about destructive malware. I think, you know, even before the, the Sony incident, we had been expecting. I had been personally expecting, and we've had a number of discussions about the notion of uh, destructive malware becoming more and more of a threat. Uh, we've seen the uh, the lockers the right, uh, becoming the ransomware is becoming more sophisticated, uh, more widespread, and uh, you know more real. They used to just threaten to, to lock up your computer or to do something. Now they were actually doing it and then right. expecting it to pay. And so as that grows from one angle, from a, from a crime perspective, and then you see 
these other you know things that are really targeting businesses and trying to suppress them in a sense uh, that that type of thing again it, it becomes oh well it happened there then maybe the, the acceptance of it happening somewhere else becomes more and so we'd expect to see more of it and I think there will be a, a growing uh, continuing growing you know there's a lot of talk about it about a real growth and concern about how that might affect critical infrastructure and then also building an intolerance of how that might impact the business and needing to address that. So, you know, things like making sure that all systems are backed up in a way that would be relatively impervious to that type of an attack so that at least from a business continuity standpoint, be able to recover from things, an event like that very quickly, if not putting more effort into the uh, prevention activities. Right. You know, I read your note um, that the, the novelty of APT is lost and I, I honestly thought first thing was every single week or maybe twice a week maybe three times a week in my inbox I'm getting information about some brand new APT campaign now maybe that's yeah. just over marketing or hype to, to take a small hacker group and turn them into APT but I mean it seems like the, this is out of the bag now everyone knows it's going on and everybody wants to be in it Everybody well, there's will. also yeah. a lot more threat intelligence sharing than there's this ever been. There is absolutely Everybody true. and, and, and their brother is, yeah, thing. it is good. But everybody and their brother is sharing their threat intelligence data, and it's to the point where it's like a fire hose being sprayed at you. You're like, okay, i got to pick the ones out here that I need to really pay attention to mm -hmm. and try to, you know, defend against because they are targeting, you know, the sector that I'm in. Right. Well, and that's, I think, one of the valuable aspects of threat intelligence, that is not to treat everything as a flat thing, but to set your priorities on things that you really need to be paying attention to and mm -hmm. concerned about. And uh, that doesn't mean that it's going to prevent any surprises, but it will at least uh, provide the opportunity to reduce the, the uh, potential of surprise. Yeah. And speaking of, I was just going to say yep. with your, your tolerance question, I think in general we want to be intolerant to any kind of malware Absolutely. on your devices. But with APT actors, because traditionally they've been very under the radar, yeah, they do some, they don't, they're not destructive, they're real quiet, they steal a couple of secrets of yours here and there, and certain businesses have accepted that as, okay, that's mm -hmm. fine. But when these destructive events occur, I yeah, really think that it raises people's awareness to the point that, wow, we can't let something like this continue. Right. Um, yeah. We gotta make sure we've got you know, our doors locked and uh, only the right people can get in, so. Yeah, good point. Any thoughts, Jim? It, it can't be business as usual. We've got to, mm -hmm. we've got to keep, we got to remain diligent. Yeah, raise the bar, raise the bar. Don't let it get, get lower, get it up higher. So Jim, what do you think is, uh, we should be looking forward to in the next year? Or not looking forward to, whichever. <laughs> Well, I, I I think we're going to see you know more and more of the mobile malware. We've had the you know the last couple of years we've seen orders of magnitude increases on that, and I uh, I don't know whether we'll see you know several orders of magnitude increase this coming year, but you know everybody's got the mobile devices. They're becoming more powerful. Um, you know the bigger processors, bigger memory, mm -hmm. and, you know, they can do more. So the bad guys are going to continue to target those. And I, I really think we're going to see some, some significant effort on the part of the bad guys to go after the iOS market. I, it's been, you know, relatively little malware has targeted iOS because Apple keeps such tight controls on everything. 
but there are so many iOS devices out there now. You know, the the iPhone and the iPads are so popular that I I think we're going to see more more targeted efforts on the part of the bad guys to get in there, and you know, mm-hmm. whether it's you know more of the Java-based stuff that runs in the browser, you know, that's also targeting them. But I think we'll see some efforts, and hopefully they won't be particularly successful, to uh, to come up with malware that slides by Apple and, and actually infects. Right. Yeah, you know, I think there's at least been evidence that there are vulnerabilities that could be exploded, exploded, no, hopefully not exploded, <laughs> but certainly exploited in these uh, in these devices. And uh, as we, you know, progress forward, it's, a, it's really a matter of time before somebody is, uh, you know, motivated to the extent that they feel that they can, they can, uh, it, and again, this, the, the complacency, the, the, in, the tolerance of things, uh, not so much more of a complacency item that is, you know, because I'm using an iOS device, I feel more comfortable. Uh, there's going to be come to the point where uh, somebody's going to take advantage of that and uh, you know kind of surprise the uh, the world. I think right, and you know we've we've talked about it before that you know because Apple so tightly controls the the stuff in its app store, it has been difficult. But occasionally things slide through there. Usually mm-hmm. they're caught quickly and and removed. But that you know contributes to the complacency that you're talking about, and mm-hmm. so I, I agree. I think I think somebody's going to really go after that, and I I think that could happen this coming year. Yeah, that's really, I think that's a reasonable prediction. You know, and I suspect it's not going to be through the App Store. A lot of what we've seen so far has been sort of through the App Store. But I think in most of the contests where they're trying to pwn devices, uh, they're not using the App Store to do that. They're going through the web interface and hitting exploits associated with uh, the browsers, or uh, you know something along those lines. Or if they can spoof somebody into installing something outside of the market, I think that's really where they're going to uh, really. That, that's the most likely path that I would expect to see. And I think there's other vectors. You know, I think first of all, I think Apple does a really good job at uh, putting good security controls and mm-hmm. monitoring around apps. Uh, but there are me- other methods, you know, you don't have to necessarily do it through an app store. It could be that you tether your device to your computer and yeah, something, you know, crosses yeah. over. I know we've seen some things that, I think that try to do things in that nature. Yeah. Uh, so there might be some more out-of-the-box thinking going on here. Certainly, there is a large number of devices that anybody would be, you know, any criminal would be very interested mm-hmm. in being able to, you know, recruit into their botnet or yeah. their criminal enterprise uh, just like they do within the Android space currently. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would agree with Jim's uh, point and I think we've seen some things with OSX, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the, in just the Mac space in general, there's a little bit more attention in the past year or two in getting malware onto those devices. Yeah, so absolutely. it's probably a trend that's going to continue into the, yeah. the mobile space as well. I'd agree. So, it's important to keep the ear to the ground looking for uh, these types of activities. We've been uh, paying attention to that here. Matt, what do you think? Well, I've been thinking mostly in terms of the, the big hits of 2014 in terms of vulnerabilities, and those are mm-hmm. the ones like you know, Shellshock, Heartbleed, mm-hmm. Pool. These sort of these broad uh, impact vulnerabilities that don't only just affect a single you know, 
vendor or, or operating system, but affect a number of different platforms, mm -hmm. uh, you know, embedded devices, regular Linux, um, but even Windows in some cases for some of these packages, if the, the things are configured that way, mm -hmm. and appliances as well. I mean, I, th I keep thinking back to the time we were, you know, going back and looking at Shellshock and Heartbleed and how long it was taking, you know, we've done everything we can, we have to wait on a vendor X, Y, and Z. And it's mm -hmm. that, that kind of thing where it's, you feel like it's never going to get patched. And I'm sure that there are still vendors out there that haven't patched for some of these bugs, even with the incredible press that we've seen. Absolutely. From. Yeah, well, it, it, in fact, uh, in some cases, they may not even be aware that the uh, the problem exists. Sure. I mean, they may not know that that's the component inside their embedded device that they're relying upon. They just mm -hmm. know that, you know, we've got SSL on here, and it does something. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's got to be more of these sorts of bugs out there. I mean, they are... There's so much code inside of Linux that people take for granted that somebody has looked at. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, it seems like in these cases, maybe somebody had or some someone introduced a bug five years ago and everyone was sort of assumed they know what they're doing. You know, maybe they didn't make them. You know, some of these are, you right. know, completely legitimate mistakes. But even those can have wide-reaching impact. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like we're going to see a couple more of these in 2015. Yeah. You know, we had a, uh, a speaker here at AT&T, I, I think it was last week, uh, a representative from the Linux Foundation that was talking a little bit about this topic. He was talking more specifically about the OpenSSL uh, issues and uh, and how you know previously in the development process there weren't very many people that were actually reviewing the code before it actually got included as a uh, as a release. And uh, so what they were doing is trying to take what was done associated with the Linux kernel and trying to map that into. Uh, into processes for other things, and they're starting to incorporate more things into it. Uh, I didn't see Bash mentioned, but I certainly did see, you know, OpenSSL is in there, Network Time Protocol is in there, because, you know, we saw it, we dealt with the, uh, the right. reflection attack it's activities reflection, associated yeah. with Network Time Protocol. And so there are a considerable number of tools that are still out there that may need a stronger, you know, development or review process to make sure that uh, at least the changes have been checked for at least apparent or obvious uh, issues associated with that. But I think, you know, John, you were talking about earlier how, you know, that, that bash vulnerability was kind of, is like weird and subtle, right? Right. <laughs> you know, and it, the little nuances, it's really difficult to pick up on all the little nuances that could, that, that can pop in these things and more and more devices, and I'll use the term devices, you know, we talk about Internet of Things. More and more things are using software from ultimately what was the original, you know, the same original code base. And it's spreading all over the place. And they may not even know what the origin was. You know, somebody pulled a piece of code from here, put it in there, and was, was using it. And they went off to another job, and somebody else comes in, and they're picking up. Oh, gee, I didn't know that was in there, right? <laughs> or even using a reference, uh, reference implementation, yeah. which was the, the cause, I think, of the SNMP bug a while back, that, that parser bug. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And this goes back a number of years where the first experience that I recall of, uh, you know, having sort of a wide sweeping cross-vendor software bug was uh, related to SNMP where um, they, there was a, a parsing error that allowed some sort of a buffer overflow. And, uh, you know, we had to go around to each of our network device vendors in each of the models and each you know and all the different releases and and apply patches associated with that I, i'm going to take a guess that was back around 2008 or so or so and uh but the the experience is certainly clearly burned into my mind 
and uh, you know Dave Gross even more so because I remember uh, we were originally you know uh, pondering how this was going to get managed as a, as a patching process, and uh, you know I guess as you're pointing out, we can probably expect to see a number of these repeats of these kinds of events going forward, and uh, some challenges around doing good patching or at least identifying the patches need to be need to be made. And having really good asset inventory really helps because you yeah. know all of these cases, Heartbleed, Shellshock Poodle, if you have good asset inventory, you know immediately which yeah. devices you're going to need to remediate. Although with Shellshock, I would argue that could be, it was a little complicated. It was a little complicated. You yeah. know, there's a lot of things in there, but Heartbleed and Poodle were a little bit easier mm -hmm. to, if you knew what version of various software you had, it was a little bit easier mm -hmm. to track down whether or not you'd be impacted or not, or that device yeah. would be. Uh, I guess to your point, you know, as we get more network connected devices that we don't think of as computers, they need to be included as yes. the asset inventory as Anything well. Anything that gets an IP address needs well, to be that, in the asset inventory database. And needs <laughs> to be considered a computer. I think that's something we have to push yeah. to, the, to the consciousness as well, is that, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you hook it up to the network, it's a computer. It's a computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need your thermostats, your refrigerators, light bulbs, yeah. phones. Light bulbs. Yeah. yeah. It becomes a big data. Your security system DVRs. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Which we know is a big problem. All right. Very good. Thank you, Matt. Uh, I guess the next one I'll I'll introduce here, and I think um, you know it's it relates to the Internet of Things. That, that you know if you go. Out Christmas shopping, I think this is the season where it's network connected devices, mm -hmm. and uh, we have to be, you know, paying attention to the uh, the vulnerabilities that might be associated with those, the configuration management associated with those, the password protection. Uh, it really provides the opportunity for those that exploit these devices to recruit them into their botnet and to, uh, you know, make it a, a part of the, uh, you know, a, a, another set of problems, denial of service attacks or, uh, you know data theft, that sort of thing, avenues into, uh, into networks. So now, on the one hand, I see it that way. On the other hand, um, you know, there are only certain devices that are really trying to connect to the internet. You know, we've talked about uh, the security surveillance DVRs that, you know, basically intentionally expose themselves to the network. And we've talked about home routers that are really are the edge of a network for most uh, homes and, uh, you know, maybe very uh, small businesses as well. So. I don't know, is it going to be really a security issue or? I, I think it is. I think there's, there's two reasons for this. The first is that, and I am constantly surprised at what people will connect to the open internet, even though it has no real good reason being there, either by physically connecting it directly to on the outside of like a firewall mm -hmm. or, or punching a hole through some sort of um, port forwarding because they think they need to have the access. They don't understand that you can do things like NAT and right. there are other ways of getting to it. So. That's one thing. And the second mm -hmm. is that nothing prevents you from using a, another means of getting into that internal network. I mean, we've seen attacks where someone gets forced to go to a web page, code inside that web page forces the browser to make a request to an internal IP address, 192.168.1.1, and try and log into your router's internal interface with a default password, and it works. So yeah. I think if, if people start having the bigger market penetration of these devices and you can sort of say, okay, well, maybe 10% of the market is using a smart thermostat, is using some sort of home monitoring system and you can reliably guess 
what IP address it's going to have, or even someone comes up with a tool that's, that sits there and, and runs JavaScript that asks for a page at 192.168.1.1.2.3, mm -hmm. and when it finds it, it says, okay, I know what this is, it and attacks it. You know, these mm -hmm. aren't out of the realm of possibility. From yeah. the inside, really. From the so inside, this, yeah, it's exactly. Like Drive-by farming right. type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where you have malicious JavaScript running in your browser. Yeah, so it's a good point, I guess. Um, so I, I was taking the approach that if it's isolated from the internet, if it's just your local network, then you can have a little more confidence in it. But you have, you really have to be thinking about your local network from a security standpoint as well. And uh, yeah, well, and then you, you then you throw IPv6 into the mix. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And when everything yeah, gets to break. a public internet address. Yep. Right, it's trying to break down, it kind of breaks down the notion of a firewall in, in some respects. Although it makes the address space you have to search bigger, so that helps. Yeah, certainly from a scanning point of view, and that's, uh, I think the jury's still out on that topic in some regards, because uh, eventually you get so many devices out there that are doing the scanning, you could... Uh, potentially, you know, they're able to scan the entire 4 billion addresses in a matter of an hour. So as the botnet scales up, as more devices are out there, if you have a billion devices scanning the internet, <laughs> your, your probability of finding something is uh, going to go up, uh, you know, relatively speaking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Still a lot of addresses, but uh, it, it gets carved down a little bit. So a good, good point. I would say uh, a good holiday, New Year's Day tradition Go get an inventory of your home devices. Go to log in, see if there's any new firmware available for them, and update <laughs> your, your home devices. Because, yeah. you know, that's the big problem, I think, a lot of, a lot of these, these days is people get appliances. They buy them, they drop them on the network, they assume, uh, you know, it's just there, it runs, you know, and I would have no idea, if I was not in the security field, mm -hmm. I have no idea if there's some new firmware out that, you know, uh, patches a critical vulnerability that, allow somebody to remotely access my device. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think that's a good point, John. I, you know, the first thing I do when I open it up and out of the box and connect, you know, you get a new toy, you want to play with it for a while. Well, <laughs> one aspect of the playing is to go to the website, see what patches are available, how, what the patch process is and things like that. I'd prefer that it actually be right on the box. It is before you buy something that to basically make that an advertisement aspect of it is that, you know, this has you know, patches available here. I think that's a part of what should be a selling point of products, that we provide a good security structure and a support structure around the device that you're buying. Because all too often, you know, you buy something, look at it, and it's, the, you know, you wonder if it's going to work. A little one-page instruction thing, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't help yeah. much. I, I was going to say the first thing I do when I get a new toy out of the box is I hook it up to my packet capture network and I start, and I start listening. Right. Oh, good. Oh, I did map against it. And run MF against it, you know. It has an internet interface. What is it doing? Yeah. I know that most people probably won't do that, but uh, it's it's a good exercise. Yeah. Well, for anybody that they think is so inclined, I think there's a business opportunity there to actually, uh, I, for example, to my knowledge, I have not seen Consumer Reports, for example, taking, you know, internet-connected devices and going out and doing security tests on them and then publishing the results and saying, you know, this one's better than that one in that mm -hmm. regard. So, uh, you know, perhaps we have... Uh, a little idea we can share with them. <laughs> I would like to see a better, like I think we talked about this, a better patch management. Yeah. Almost absolutely. like a federated patch management, something that everybody uses a common infrastructure and I can, you know, register my device mm -hmm. and they'll 
they'll send me oh, emails and let yeah. me know. It's actually, literally, I mean, by you know, effectively. Let me know that yeah. there's a patch available so I can and update that's it. Not, that's not a bad feature to have for a device on its own is if you're setting it up for the very first time, include an email address. Mm -hmm. And if things happen that the device is aware of but it can't take action on its own, email the owner and say, hey, this is your router just saying I'd like to be patched now. Right. <laughs> A lot of good ideas here. Maybe we should collect this into like a little, uh, little book or something. <laughs> Things we'd like to see implemented in 2015. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that's our show for today. Uh, if you'd like to, uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at threattrack.list.att.com. Maybe there is a prediction that you have that we didn't describe. Obviously, we haven't covered the entire uh, realm of things. But uh, if you think there's something really important that, uh, that we need to cover, let us know, and uh, maybe we can share it on the program here. Uh, or if you think we got it plain wrong, <laughs> I'm uh, happy to hear from you on that topic as well. Uh, you can find us, uh, that is the Threat Track program, on the ATT Tech channel. It's at att.com slash threat track. That's with a Q instead of a CK at the end. Uh, we're available on YouTube as well as on iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter at the handle at ATT Security. Uh, thanks, Matt. Thanks, John, and thank you, Jim, for all your predictions. And uh, I'm Brian Rexrode. We'll be back after the new year with a new episode. And until then, keep your network safe. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.